Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, he is risen. All right, well done. Everyone gets 10 points. Hey, it's so fun to have people in the front row, but just know that you are in the splash zone uh, when I preach. But hey, seriously, happy Easter, everyone. It's, it, it really is amazing. Some of you I haven't seen in over a year, which is just bizarre with all that we've gone, been going through. But uh, happy Easter to all of you. Welcome to, if you're here today uh, as a visitor, if you're here because someone invited you, I want to personally thank you for saying yes uh, to their invitation, and uh, I'm so glad that you're here. After the service, I'm going to be wandering in the lobby, and if possible, I'd like uh, very much to, uh, to meet you. But again, happy Easter and welcome to all of you. This weekend, we're wrapping up. You can see there we've been in a series called The King's Cross, and uh, we've been using a book by Timothy Keller called King's Cross as a jumping-off point. If you've never read that book, well, really anything by Timothy Keller, I would highly recommend, but it's an excellent, excellent book. And in this series, we've walked Uh, with Jesus and his disciples through the second half of the gospel, the New Testament book of Mark. And it's in the second half of Mark that we see Jesus turning like very purposefully towards the cross, really towards the reason that he had come to earth. And on Friday, Good Friday, Andrew did a a wonderful job uh, just taking us through the final hours of Jesus's, uh, of his life on Good Friday. It comes to an end as the sun is going down. Uh, uh, the lifeless body of Jesus is, is laid in a tomb. And Andrew uh, ended his talk basically by saying, and that brought us to the end of Act 1. And uh, for the people in the story, though, they didn't see it that way. For them, it was, it was the end. But he didn't stay in that tomb, did he? And, uh, and he has come back to life. And so today we are going to celebrate Act 2 as what looked like the end really, really uh, was the beginning. We've been using this phrase, the great reversal. Uh, through his death and resurrection, Jesus is now starting to untie all the knots that evil has made in our lives and in our, in our world. So today we celebrate his resurrection. And, and here's sort of the direction I want to go uh, today in my talk as we celebrate Easter. Um, uh, this is no, uh, no news flash to anyone, but I'm sure you would agree we live in a very fast-paced culture. Uh, for many of us, our calendars, our schedules are so full, we, uh, we live with like a chronic sense of running behind. It's like we're, <laughs> we're always running to, to catch up, moving from, you know, from one event to the next responsibility, to the next uh, commitment. It's go, go. And, and really, living in the West, this fast pace. It really is a way of life for us. We see uh, that pace. We see it in many different aspects of our lives. We see it. One of the ways is we see it as we move through the year, through this, you know, all the different seasonal celebrations. And, and, and what I mean is this. I, you know, I think in the fall, I love the fall, but like we aren't even through Thanksgiving and already the stores are loaded up with Christmas stuff. And it's like January 3rd, and all the New Year stuff is piled on the discount table, and suddenly the aisles of the store are full of, you know, uh, Valentine's uh, cards and Valentine's candies, soon to be followed by, you know, green four-leaf clovers for uh, St. Patty's Day, and of course, Easter, and on and on. But have you noticed that? We just, boom, we're just like breakneck speed, moving through all these, through all these different celebrations, and 
Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, this, this sort of came home a bit more to me. A couple weeks ago, I, I went home, and it took me about half an hour to clue in, but I realized, hey, my wife Helen had put out our Easter decorations. And in our home, that means the summer, or sorry, the winter decorations have now been put away in order to make room for the Easter decorations, and it, it always looks really beautiful. In fact, let me, let me brag a little bit on my wife. Uh, Helen and I have been married 34 years. Uh, I was seven when we got married. It's a long story. That's quite an accomplishment. Thanks for the applause for a seven-year-old. But uh, <laughs> it's a long story. But, but seriously, so over those 34 years, we've lived in some nice places. Where we live now is beautiful. But we've also lived in some not-so-nice basement suites and places. But wherever we have lived, my wife Helen has a gift. Everywhere we've lived, she's made it like look so cozy and so beautiful. So in our house now, which is beautiful, we have a room downstairs that is full of like storage stuff. And one of the walls in that storage room has all these totes and they have labels on them. And some of those labels are spring, summer, autumn, Christmas, uh, you know, uh, uh, Valentine's and of course Easter. And in our home, there's like a, there's an annual cycle that we go through and, you know, depending on the season, Helen there's always some tote upstairs that Helen is either taking something out or putting something back, making room for the next season. As I saw that, I was thinking about Easter and what we're celebrating this weekend, and this came to my mind. You know, one of the dangers for us living in such a fast-paced world is that once the decorations are put away, making room for the next season, uh, more often than not, the purpose of those decorations, what they reminded us of, also get put away. Like, do you see where I'm going with this? Like, like let, me get, let me just get closer to home. For most people gathered in church this weekend, you know, we're going to think about the truth of Easter for maybe two or three days. And then that truth will be quickly put away. The truth of Easter, the resurrection truth of Easter will, you know, will, will quickly be swallowed up by the, the you know, the current of our, of our busy lives. And, uh, but here's the thing, the truth of Easter is never meant, was never, is never meant to be put away. It is meant to be out every day of our lives. And, and, and so uh, when we see this, that the, there's something unique about the truth of Easter, about the resurrection truth. Uh, one of Jesus' disciples said this. Uh, Peter said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. And how, where does that come from? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the resurrection of Jesus is so much more than just a story. It's so much more than just an event, you know, in, in, in history. It's so much more than just a seasonal, seasonal celebration. It's a living hope. And really what I want to talk about today is that living hope, that resurrection truth is something that God has given us that is meant to give hope to us every day through every situation, just all the stuff of life. So let's pray. And, uh, and then we'll jump in. And you know, I was just reminded the other day, I forgot last night, we are celebrating our 19th anniversary this weekend. So happy anniversary to VCDC. Oh, VCDC, yeah. Because if, if Helen and I have been together 34 years and we're celebrating our 19th anniversary, there's a problem, right? So we, uh, there goes my notes. Okay, let's pray. Let's get it back here. Let's pray. And uh, Lord, so thank you for 19 years as a church. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Seriously, you have been so faithful to this church. Lord, you've been so faithful. Look at what we've gone through this last year. And look at all these people. 
Lord, I'm so grateful that you have put your arms around us as a church family and you have pulled us in close. I pray today that your resurrection power would fill this room. You are alive and you're with us. So come, Lord, come surprise us with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we've been going through Mark and we're gonna end off today looking at the final chapter of Mark. It's uh, Mark 16, if you wanna turn there. In your Bible or on your phone. It's also going to be on the screens. We're going to read verses 1 to 8. Here's what it says. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He did die. He has risen, though. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. We'll stop there. You know, as, I, as we look at the resurrection story, there's so many, so many different uh, directions that we could go. And where I want us to take us today is I want to point something out from the resurrection story that I have often been encouraged by, taken comfort from, and it's this. It's, it's simply this, that not one of the followers of Jesus believed that he was going to come back to life. Think about that. Like, like they, they struggled to believe that he was going to do what he said he was going to do. And that is encouraging to me. I think that should be encouraging to all of us because I know we struggle. We struggle to believe that this is all true. Like, don't, I mean, don't you struggle to believe that the resurrection story is true? Don't you struggle to believe lots of the stories and truths of the Bible? Do you sometimes struggle to believe in God, period, do you sometimes struggle to believe that the Cleveland Browns will ever win the Super Bowl, right? Okay, we're really getting to the deep wounds today. But seriously, belief, belief is really hard. But belief is so necessary. So my first point is, is simply this, the importance of belief. The importance of belief. And again, I take encouragement from the fact that people who had a front row seat on Jesus struggled, struggled to believe that he would do what he said he'd uh, would do. And, you know, in the story, you've got Mary and her friend Mary and her friend Salome. Uh, you know, they're heading to the tomb. They were not heading to the tomb to welcome Jesus back to the land of the living, were they? Like, the story tells us what's going on. Like, it, it's, you know, it says that Saturday evening after Sabbath, Sabbath was over, these women went out, they went to the store, and they bought spices. And they didn't buy spices because they thought, you know, Jesus, I'm sure resurrecting yourself is a lot of work. And so we should make him like a really good stew or hummus or something. And, and that's not why they bought spices. They bought spices because they were going to go now Sunday morning back to the tomb. And they were going to finish the burial process. When I look at it, I just go, wow, ladies, so loving, so kind, so honoring. But there is, there's zero expectation 
in what they're doing that Jesus was really going to come back to life. And so I don't want to be hard on them, but you know, if I'm going to be hard on anyone in the story, it's going to be the disciples. Uh, because it's, you know, like not one disciple. These are the, his posse. These are his, you know, the inside group. Not one of the disciples of Jesus was standing in the garden or in the tomb or near the tomb uh, with balloons or with a banner. You did it, Jesus. Like none of them. None of them were there. In fact, we know from looking at the other gospels that while the women were going to the tomb, tomb that these guys, the disciples, were hiding out. They were locked away, very afraid because they're going, woo, the authorities just did this to Jesus. What are they going to do? What are they going to do uh, to us next? And, and, and again, I know many of you are familiar with this story. What, what's so amazing is that Jesus, you know, clear as a bell, told them many times, I'm going to die, but in three days, I'll come back to life. He told them many, many times. And what's also amazing, when you look at the, the gospel of Mark, which is what we've been going through, Mark is a writer. He's like a writer of few words, like just the facts, ma'am. I mean, he's a pretty condensed writer. But even Mark, three times, writes it out that Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to die, but I will come back to life on the third day. And so if he wrote it three times, who knows how many times Jesus spelled it out for them clearly. And yet they still struggled to believe. So if it was hard for them to believe, how much more for us, you know, 2,000 plus years away from this, from this event? And so we need help to believe. And here's something cool about God. Like God, uh, we see this in the Bible, God doesn't force you to believe, right? That's your choice whether or not you're going to believe. But what God does, he promises that he's going to help us to believe, and there's a verse in the Bible where Jesus said this. He said in John 6, he said, Hey, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. Now, that, that's very helpful language. No one can come to me unless my Father who sent me helps them, like draws them to me. And uh, the, the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language. And the English word draws, what we see there, really doesn't capture what Jesus is trying to say. Because when I read that, you know, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. That sounds kind of passive to me. Kind of like, you know, if I was God the Father and Jesus was right here, it would, it would be sort of like a passive, hey, hey, I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to be a father, but if you've got some time, could you maybe look this way? Uh, I want to introduce you to my boy Jesus. We've got ice cream. We've got hot dogs. Like, would you, can I draw you over here? Like, it seems passive to me. Uh, and here's what's really interesting. The actual word, the Greek word, the original word is this. It's the word helko. And look what it means. To drag. That's a bit more, <laughs> that's a bit more intense. But now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. If God the Father's dragging us, like no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father <laughs> drags me. I thought you said, preacher man, that God doesn't force us to believe. Well, no, he, he doesn't force us to believe. What that is speaking to is that there is very real, powerful resistance to you and I believing coming to Jesus. <clears throat> In the heart of every human being, young and old, there's just the, it's, it's part of our broken human condition. There's the pride of the human heart. There's this stubbornness in, inside us that just says, I'm the boss of me. And nobody can tell me what to do. We've sort of experienced that a bit over this last year. Just a little. But it's like not even you, almighty God, you know, not even you can tell me what to do. That pride in our hearts, it's resistant to the, to the ways of God. 
The Bible says that we also have an enemy called the devil. And you know that when the devil wakes up every morning, he wakes up, and of course, I don't know if this is totally accurate, but he wakes up scratching his horn, and, and he, says, he says, you know, what's on the calendar for today? And he goes, oh yeah, that's right. It's what I do every day. I'm constantly working to keep all the human race blinded, to keep them all in a place of unbelief. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age, and notice that's a small g. This is talking about the devil. The devil has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Like, have you, when's the last time you considered this truth? That you have an enemy who does not want you to see the glory of Jesus, the, the beauty of Jesus. He doesn't want you to see how close Jesus is to you right now. He works constantly, constantly to do that. And so Mark 16 carries on. It's really interesting, uh, verses 9 to 20 in Mark 16, scholars believe that Mark didn't write the last uh, chunk of that chapter. I really think Mark had ADD, and he's like, I'm, I'm tired of writing. You know, I've been writing for 10 minutes. I've had enough. And he just sort of abruptly ends in verse 8. And, and the, but the people who finished, whoever it was that finished the Mark 16, what really, what a, part of what they're spelling out there is how Jesus, now fully alive, now resurrected, how he comes and helps his followers to believe that the resurrection is true. And, and what we see is he does it by pursuing them and showing his very alive self to them. And again, there's this beautiful story where he, you know, personally he meets Mary, Mary, and he calls her by name, and she's rabbi, you know, and it's this beautiful reunion. He shows his alive self to her, and, or there's the two people that are walking on the road to Emmaus, and there's this amazing story where Jesus reveals himself to them, and, and then Jesus comes to the disciples and wags a finger like, you guys, where were the balloons? It's like, you guys of all people should have been there, you know, but so he, he reveals himself to the disciples, and, 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 and then uh, later on in the New Testament, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 he, uh, he talks about all these different people that Jesus showed his alive self to. And Paul says at the time of the writing, you could even go talk to these people. They're, they're, they're still alive. He even showed himself to a, to a group of 500 people at one time, helping them to believe in the resurrection truth. Well, you know, God does the same thing today. And one of the ways, one of the ways that God helps us to see, helps us to believe is by bringing someone into our life that shows us the very alive Jesus. I bet if we went around the room, many of you would say, that's how I came to know Jesus. It was through someone that I met. If you're, if you're a visitor here today, if somebody invited you, there, there's a good chance that the person who invited you may be part of God's plan to show his alive self to you. So no pressure on the inviter. Just don't mess it up, all right? But, but seriously, but you know that's, that is how God works. I mean, I've been praying all week, oh, Lord, let Use me today. Use me to say something that for, for someone in the room, they're going to see you clearer today. They're going to see you clearer because of something that I say. And, and see, the thing is, the, the goal, like, like again, God doesn't force us to believe. But because of our state, right, like God who loves you will actually help go. He will actually grab you and drag you out of the darkness 
and into the light. He'll actually grab you and drag you or drag or pull off, I guess, the blinders that the enemy is trying to put on you so that you'll come into a place where you're going to see Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the person of Jesus in, in, in a clearer way. And it's in that place that God says, now, now make a choice. Now make a choice uh, to believe. And, and so belief is so important. And, and especially with what we're talking about today, belief in the resurrection is foundationally, foundationally important. Timothy Keller said this, if Jesus rose from the dead, if he did, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, well, then why worry about any of what he said? Like that is so good. Like you understand what he's saying? He's saying that the, you know, the resurrection truth it, it, it is the foundation of our, of our Christian faith. And it's like a, it's like a hinge that the story of Jesus moves. Jesus didn't come back to life. Like, think about what that means. If he didn't come back to life, that means that the, you know, the, the virgin birth and, and all the miracles of Jesus and all the, you know, all the great teachings of Jesus and all the, uh, all the claims he made about himself, his sacrificial death on the cross, if he didn't come back to life, that means that all those things don't mean anything. And what are we doing here? See, if, if he didn't come back to life, that means that Christianity, our faith, suddenly slides into the category of all the world religions who say we had a leader who did some cool things and said some cool things, but who is, who is dead. If Jesus didn't come back to life, we do not have good news to share with people, but... But, see, believing in the resurrection is foundational to our faith because if, because if Jesus did come back to life, well, that means that everything, everything about Jesus, what he said, what he did, what he promised, is suddenly true. See, belief is so important, and for some of us, like seriously, let me get practical. For some of us, the resurrection truth, you need to leave out an Easter decoration year-round. Like, you need, to, you need to put one in your car you need to put one by your bed. You need to stick one to the bathroom mirror. You need to, you know, like you need, it needs to be the lock screen on your phone or the homepage. You need to have something to remind you of the resurrection truth every day of your life because belief, belief is so, it's so important. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, the Greek word that's normally used for belief is this word, you can throw it up there, pisteo. And look at what it means. It means to believe. That's not very helpful. But it also means to be convinced of something. Okay, so this word, this word uh, uh, points to, like it's not a passive word. This is an active belief. It's like it's not just some intellectual belief. It points to a belief that's followed by action. So what that means is, that, you know, because I believe in the resurrection, because I believe that Jesus conquered death, because I believe that Jesus is alive, is alive, I now live my life in the light of that belief, of that truth. See, uh, number two in our notes is this. First one is the importance of belief. Number two is the importance of applying our belief. Like when does the resurrection truth, when, is, when does it become more than just a story? When does it become more than just an event in history or more than just a seasonal celebration? Well, it does. It does when the claims, when the truths that, uh, uh, of the resurrection story are applied to our everyday lives. When we start living our lives through the filter of, he's alive and he's conquered death. Right? That makes all the difference. It's in that place where we start to, not only our belief leads us to a place of experiencing 
the, the resurrection truth. So let me ask you this question. What difference would the truth of the resurrection make in your life? Like if you applied that to your life. Do you think that would make a difference in your life? Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I think like, hey, that's, that's, that's just a very broad, big question. So let me, let me sort of narrow it down a bit to just one part of the resurrection truth. Jesus once said to his followers in John 11, he said, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Like, just think about that. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. See, Jesus said this pre, pre-resurrection, pre, pre-cross. And basically, Jesus was saying to his followers, uh, you, you think I'm pretty great. Because you've seen the miracles and the, and the teachings. Like, you've seen all that. You think I'm pretty great. And what he's saying here is, hey, soon I'm going to show you something even greater. I'm going to show you that I am even greater than, stronger than death. Right? Death has no hold on me. And, and here's the amazing thing. And consequently, because it has no hold on me, when someone puts their belief in me, well, then death no longer has any hold on them either. So think about that. Like, like would, what difference would that truth make in your life today? That what's true for Jesus can now be true, can now be true for you. That at the end of your time on earth, what we call death, according to Jesus, according to what he said, more importantly, according to what he did, you know, not the end, the great reversal, actually the beginning, according to what he did, uh, it's not death, it's actually the time when your true life is just getting started. According to resurrection truth, that means our future is not bleak. Our future is incredibly, is incredibly bright. Tim Keller said this, and to the extent that that future is real to you, it will change everything about how you live in the present. For example, why is it so hard to face suffering? Why is it so hard to face disability and disease? Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you money, reputation, maybe even your life? Why is it so hard to face your own death or the death of loved ones? Like, oh, don't go there yet. Phew, that was close. Uh, those are great questions, aren't they? Those are great questions, Mr. Keller, because those are questions we all deal with, don't we? Those are questions that we all struggle with. There's that pain. There's just the pain of life. There's the pain of the hardship of life. So how does he answer that question? Here we go. He answers it this way. It's so Hard because we think this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. That is profound. It's easy to feel as if this money is the only wealth we'll ever have. As if this body is the only body we'll ever have. But if Jesus is risen, then your future is so much more beautiful and so much more certain than that. Than all those things we, we worry about and stress about. The future is very bright. So would that, would that make a difference in your life right now? See, because what I see in that is this. Wait a minute, Jesus. If this really is true, right? That means like my life, if this is sort of represents my life, and here's, picture a timeline going, just going across the stage, out the wall, past 71, you know, past the West Coast. Like just picture a timeline, just going, going, going. That means Jesus, that 
that my life right now, compared to eternity, compared to forever, that what I'm going through right now, it is very real. And boy, there's some stuff that's very hard. But compared to that, that, this is just a tiny blip on the, on the, on the, on the radar of my life. See, resurrection truth, resurrection power fills us with a hope Fills us with a hope that overwhelms the fear, the pain, the sense of loss, loss because this isn't it for us. This isn't it. This isn't it for your loved one. Right? Like, like it's, it's that future hope is, is so powerful, is so true, that that future hope is able to bring uh, present peace, present hope into whatever you're going through right now. That's why, that's why in the Bible we, we're, we're told, Philippians 4, 6, we're taught, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, which doesn't make sense. A future hope, which doesn't, that, you know, doesn't make sense that it's able to impact our present chaos and all the stuff we're going through, uh, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Future hope, present peace. So uh, we're going to wrap up here in a second. Why don't we have the band come on back? Uh, let, let me end with, let me go here for the end. John 14, 1 says this. Uh, Jesus also said this to his followers. He said to them, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. See, for the believer, for the believer in Jesus... There is to be no fear in life and, and no fear in death. I, I had a conversation this last week that really brought this truth home to me. Um, I've shared before, I come from a family, there's six kids, oldest and youngest were girls, and there's four boys in the middle, and I'm the, I'm the youngest uh, son. And my oldest brother, he pastored a church uh, for many years, and so we will often uh, we talk every week, and we'll often talk shop, right? Pastor talk, if, if, if you will. And, you know, Easter's coming up, and that's a, for, the, for us, that's like a high season of the year in the church. And, and he just said, hey, you know, what are you doing for Easter, and what are you going to preach on? And we joke a lot, and I said, well, I've got a title. My title is Born in a Manger. See, to pastors, that is a real knee slapper. That gets us going. Uh, but I told him that I was planning on talking about the hope the hope that comes into our present lives when we believe and when we apply, uh, when we grab on to resurrection truth. And I said to my brother, I said, hey, I was going to, you know, I was, I was going to share a story about our older sister uh, named Joan uh, around just over 12 years ago. My sister Joan, our sister Joan died of an illness. And there was a story from, from that time when right around about two hours before she uh, passed away, I was with her, and there's a story that, il that really illustrates for me the hope that comes in, in hard times from, the, you know, from that resurrection truth. So I told him that, and then he, then he shared a really short story with me that he'd never shared with me before that, that illustrated for my sister 
illustrated for her, from her perspective, the hope that she experienced uh, in really the ultimate hard time that she experienced from future hope, from resurrection truth. And he said that some of the last words that my sister said to him were, th- were this. She said, tell my friends that I am not afraid and that my heart is happy. And I'd, I'd never heard that before. And when my brother said it, it just, poof, it just hit me in the chest. And I thought, wow. I thought, wow, look at that. How, how is that possible? She's lying on her deathbed. Like she's way too young to die. You know, her, her body is turned on her and is attacking her. And, you know, she's like a day away from dying. Like, how is it possible that you're not afraid? How is it possible that you're, like your heart is happy? Like, where does that kind of peace, where does that kind of hope come from? It comes from resurrection truth. It comes from the one. It comes from the heart of the one who walked through death's door ahead of us. Who walked through and conquered death so, and, to, and removed the sting of death so that you and I, so that my sister at death's door did not have to be afraid of what was to come. And it comes from the one who, you know, who has gone before us. Who went before her to prepare a beautiful place for her and who promised to come back and to meet her at death's door and say, take my hand, sweetie. <sighs> let, me, let me walk you into to your life, to where life really gets started. See, see, that's the power of remembering every day resurrection truth that Jesus has gone ahead of us and that he's alive and that he's with us. Now let me end off with this one last quote. On the day of the Lord, the day that God makes everything right, the day that everything sad comes untrue, on that day the same thing will happen to your own hurts and sadness. You will find that the worst things that have ever happened to you will in the end only enhance your eternal delight. On that day all of it will be turned inside out And you will know joy beyond the walls of the world. The joy of your glory will be that much greater for every scar you bear. So live, live in the light of the resurrection and renewal of this world and of yourself in a glorious, never-ending, joyful dance of grace. Why don't we stand up? We're going to worship together. We're going to worship the one who uh, gives us that hope. And uh, we're going to worship for a few songs. And then one of our small group leaders, Ben Hodge, is going to come and he's going to lead us in taking communion. And if you didn't grab elements, they're uh, on the tables by the back door. I encourage you to, you can grab them now and as we sing. And I know we have visitors here today. If you're here right now and you're thinking, this is crazy. Uh, and if communion is confusing, you, you don't know what it is, uh, you don't feel no obligation to participate in communion. We're just so glad you're here. Uh, just we want you just to, to be with us and observe. So uh, let's worship and then we'll, we'll come back and have a time to pray. Let's worship. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.